The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. Red arrows on Wall Street after the major averages do something for the first time in five weeks. Futures right now still under pressure. But that's not stopping the bulls over at Goldman Sachs from boosting their year-end price target for the S&P 500. A holiday Monday makes for a merger Tuesday and a more than $35 billion deal to reshape the U.S. banking landscape. Plus, China gets aggressive to help jumpstart its slowing economic growth picture. We are live in Beijing with the latest there. And then later on, why the EU is reportedly weighing a half a billion dollar fine against one member of the Magnificent Seven. It's Tuesday, February 20th, 2024, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chu in for Frank Holland this Tuesday morning. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. equity futures with the major averages coming off their first down week in the last five. And right now, futures are indicating another down day at the opening bell. The implied open for the S&P is down 17 points. The Dow Jones implied lower by roughly 78 and the Nasdaq down by about 104 points. Tech leading the declines. A check on some of the biggest laggards on the Dow in the pre-market and a few set to report results later on this morning. Check out now Visa, Caterpillar, Nike, Home Depot, Procter & Gamble. Those shares right now, especially in the Visa and Caterpillar side, down roughly 1.5% the Dow laggard so far. Checking with the bond market with the two-year yield hitting its highest level since mid-December and the five-year at its highest since November. Right now, the benchmark 10-year note yield just a hair below 4.28%. We'll keep a close eye on that. Remember, not so long ago, we were markedly below 4% on that benchmark yield. And the 30-year long bond, 4.447% as well. Also now checking out what's happening with regard to the oil market, trading at its highest levels since November. U.S. benchmark crude price is currently down one half of 1%, backing off those levels, $78.81. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, down about 1%, $82.77 there as well. That's your U.S. setup. A very busy day shaping up overseas. Carolyn Roth is in our London newsroom with the early action from across the Atlantic. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning to you, Dominic. Quick look at European equity markets this morning. We're still close to two-year highs here, but a bit of a mixed picture here when it comes to the actual bourses. The FTSE 100 just holding on to the flat line. We got numbers from Barclays. We'll get to that in just a second. Basic resources, though, underperforming here. We saw some weaker iron ore prices down in Australia. The CAC 40, not too far from recent record highs, and the Zetra DAX is off those levels, off by 0.2%. But let's get back to the earnings picture, because all of this is 
Barclays leading uh, the, some of the European bourses higher. Barclays has announced a major strategy overhaul, separating its business into five operating divisions and vowing to return 10 billion pounds to shareholders over the next two years. Net interest income soared more than 20 percent to 12.7 billion pounds, though the lender notched a loss of more than 100 million pounds for the fourth quarter. Barclays up by a little more than 4.4 percent. Now, get this. So the European Union is reportedly set to hit Apple with a 500 million euro antitrust fine. That's according to the Financial Times over the weekend. The penalty is expected to be announced next month and comes as part of a probe into whether the iPhone maker restricted apps from informing users about cheaper alternatives to access music's subscriptions outside of the App Store. Let's take a look at Apple pre-market. It is off by half of 1%. Dominic, back over to you. All right, Carolyn, thank you very much for the update there from across the Atlantic. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories, including a big deal asking investors, what's in your wallet? Silvana Hinao is here with those headlines. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Dom, good Tuesday, Tuesday morning to you. Yeah, that's right. So Capital One Financial is buying Discover Financial Services in a $35.3 billion all-stock deal that values Discover at a 27% premium from Friday's closing price. Now, the companies expect the deal to close in late 2024 or early 2025, after which Capital One shareholders will hold 60% and Discover shareholders would own 40% of the combined company. The merger marks one of the industry's biggest since the 2008 financial crisis and is the industry's largest since the $66 billion deal between BB and T and SunTrust almost five years ago. And the Biden administration announcing it will give chipmaker Global Foundries roughly $3.1 billion in grants and loans to build a new advanced chip factory in upstate New York and expand existing spaces in New York and Vermont. The funding is expected to provide a boost to Global Foundries clients, General Motors and Lockheed Martin, as well as other companies in the auto and defense sector. Now, Dom, this is the largest CHIPS Act award to date and also offers a hint at what we can expect in the coming weeks for other major awards for Intel, TSMC and Micron. And of course, Global Foundry shares up about 12 and a half percent pre-market. Silvana, thank you very much for those headlines. We'll see you later on. All right. To China and Beijing taking new steps to try to prop up the country's struggling property market and boost the economy overall, as well as consumer confidence. Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with more on the economic story from the world's second biggest economy. Eunice. Thanks, Dom. Well, China cut its key reference rate for mortgages by the most since the rate was established back in 2019. The five-year loan prime rate was slashed by 25 basis points. This is the first reduction since last June. The one-year LPR is the guide for businesses and consumers. That was left unchanged. Now, this move was surprising because, one, it was much bigger than most analysts expected, and because it broke 
with tradition where the rates tend to move in tandem. So people here are saying that this indicates that policymakers are much more concerned than previously thought about the property sector and also that they, at the same time, want to use a more targeted approach. Now, this comes as the latest data shows that FDI in China is now at its lowest level in 30 years and official numbers show travel over the Lunar New Year holiday period exceeding pre-pandemic levels. But Dom Nomura and Goldman both pointed out that tourism revenue per head fell 9.5 percent below 2019 levels. So still a lot to be done to uh, try to get that consumer confidence up. Eunice, are there any signs of a bigger policy response than what we are seeing and what we think that we could see in the coming days and weeks? Well, we are hearing much more rhetoric. So, for example, this week, the Chinese premier, uh, Li Chang, had said that there needs to be much more pragmatic and forceful action to try to get that confidence up. In addition to that, the stocks regulator uh, called a meeting over the past two days with investors and said that they would be listening carefully to uh, the investor criticisms. Now, exactly if how that plays out, still um, up in the air. But um, because there is a huge uh, parliamentary meeting coming up in early March, people are, are speculating that the policymakers are going to have much more pressure to do something uh, about the economy. So uh, people here are watching that very, very closely. All right, Eunice Yoon with the state of play on the Chinese economy. Thank you very much. We'll see you later on. A lot more here to come on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, Goldman Sachs gets a bit more bullish thanks to optimism around the magnificent seven stocks. Plus, getting set for some big retail reports in Walmart and Home Depot. The name our next guests are shopping for on their list ahead of those results. And then later on, City lays out its global stock market playbook ahead of the 2024 presidential election in the key areas of the market is set to outperform. Got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Welcome back. Goldman Sachs is boosting its year-end target for the S&P 500 to 5,200. It's the second time the bank has lifted its forecast after bumping it up to 5,100 from 4,700 back in December. The new move puts Goldman among the most bullish with Oppenheimer and Fundstrat as well. RBC and UBS analysts have boosted their targets to 5,150 earlier this year. Ed Yardeni, by the way, has the highest target price at around 5400 Now, in a note, late, late on Friday, the Goldman team led by David Costin says that big tech must do most of the heavy lifting. They say their upgrade reflects their expectations for stronger economic growth and higher profits for the 
IT and communication services sectors, which contain five of the so-called Magnificent Seven stocks. So let's talk more about this now with Ryan Dietrich, the chief market strategist at the Carson Group. The Mag 7, Ryan, have been the talk of the town for quite some time now. Is it pretty much the case that they're going to have to do all of the heavy lifting if the S&P 500 is going to have another big rally? Yeah. Good morning, Dom. It's pretty early, but that's that's a tough question this early in the morning. But I mean, listen, yes, they have to do a lot of the lifting. We know that you look at the earnings growth, you look at some of the revenue. It's it's coming from a lot of those big companies. No question. But, yeah, does it mean they have to? You know, I mean, there's other parts of this market that are doing well. I mean, literally the last week, Dom, if you look like the S&P um, 1500 advanced decline line, it's 1500 biggest stocks. It made like an all time high. So there really are a lot of stocks participating. But these large names do matter, obviously. Obviously, they make up so much of the overall market that if they were to crack, I and mean, we saw last week they cracked a little bit, the market was down, but most stocks were up last week. So, of course, they matter. We're more neutral. Uh, you know, technology right here has had such an incredible run. Doesn't mean we don't like it. We'll be very clear. But, you know, what they do matters. And, um, you know, <laughs> they're still a big part of what's going on. But there are some really positive things under the surface that you wouldn't even notice it because those big names do um, do pull so much. What's the most positive thing that you're seeing right now under the surface that we are not paying attention to because we are focused so much, Ryan, on the Magnificent Seven? Yeah, great question there. I mean, honestly, the economy's strong. I mean, all the, we hear so much about manufacturing, and manufacturing's 14% of the economy, so it's not a lot. The survey's been under 50 for the longest time, but you look at, like, manufacturing structures. I mean, they've been exploding higher, like over 60% the last year, Dom. We've seen a huge, the onshoring, right, bring the chips back, all the incredible um, productivity that's going to come from some of these things. That's stuff that we're not really hearing about, and yes, earnings, of course, are out there. We still think, you know, kind of the earlier discussion before I jumped on here, you know, there still are a lot of positives. Maybe earnings can be a little bit better than expected. And, and all in all, you've got earnings at all-time high. You've got CapEx expenditures in the next 12 months at an all-time high. You've got profit margins starting to roll and curl higher. Dom, those three things to us are, you know, honestly, pretty big positives for the economy, but also probably the market here that, yeah, I mean, you know, there's lots of things to talk about, but I don't know if that gets all the love that it should. Ryan, last week we saw an inflation scare that took down the market quite a bit because of what we saw with the CPI and everything else. Inflation is still a problem right now, and interest rates are reflecting that. The 10-year yields are significantly higher than they were just about three or four weeks ago. Talk to us then about how that sentiment shift could affect the broader markets. Interest rates still do matter. Oh, they, they absolutely matter. And, and yes, we had that big sell-off last Tuesday, and then we had a huge rally Wednesday and Thursday as people kind of looked at it. And I know everyone's talked about this ad nauseum, but you know, shelter is a huge part of why that CPI number was higher. If you strip out shelter, your you know, CPI is actually sub two. So so we know that. But I'll just say this much. Since, since seasonality has really played out the last couple of years. What does that mean right here and now? Well, Dom, you know, the next month or so, yeah, you know, historically, late uh, February into early March could be a little troublesome. There's a lot of optimism out there after the rally that we've had. So we've been bullish. We've been overweight equities, you know, honestly, since December of 2022. It wasn't always a popular call, but we've been there. And now, you know, we'd be optim we'd be um open to the idea, I guess, that you could have some 
normal seasonal weakness here with some of the some of the uh, you know potential under the surface. I mean, people have talked about this. Last point here, you know, the number of stocks above their 50-day and 200-day moving average has been creeping lower, even though the indices moved higher. That's not the end of the world, but it says, hey, maybe we could have that. That's again, look what happened last year, last February and March, right? We're not predicting another regional bank crisis, but it's funny how these things tend to play out, especially in an election year. First quarter of election year is not usually that strong, so we think there could be, um, you know, a little bit of a banana peel coming up here, but it's just going to be an opportunity because, like I said, we don't see a recession, so we'd still be a buyer. Ryan, but you mentioned some of the sectors that you think are, are worth looking at right now. I wonder what parts of the market, certain stocks, certain industries represent the biggest opportunity in your mind in the next six yeah. to 12 months. Sure. Well, we we like the cyclical names, specifically industrials and financials. I mean, it's not like the headlines have been great for financials, yet all of a sudden that group that was a leader last year continues to do well. So if you don't have a recession, we like those areas. And also, I mean, I know this is a word that gets everybody fired up. You know, we like small caps. We like mid caps also. And I know, you know, uh, small caps have underperformed, but they also up 22 percent the last two months last year. So we think they're kind of just biding their time here. Small caps were up last week, right, when, when tech and when that rotation we wouldn't be shocked at all, Dom, if we had a rotation out of you know tech and communications and honestly in the small and mid caps, kind of that underloved area that, again, yes, it's a lot of that has to do with what's going with the Fed. It wins the first cut, but still the economy is strong. And last week, even though you know yields went higher and in interest rate uh, cut expectations dropped, small caps and mid caps led. So that's something I think we should be paying attention to. All right. Ryan Dietrich of the Carson Group with the bullish case for the markets. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon, sir. Thanks, Dom. All right, ahead on Worldwide Exchange, real estate has been an underperformer lately. Interest rate's a big part of that. But with potential rate cuts on the horizon, are there opportunities in that sector? We're going to take a look in this month's Sectornomics coming up next. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked... That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back. It's time for this month's Sectornomics, and we are featuring the real estate sector. It's one of the smaller ones in the S&P 500. And it really has been an underperformer. Over the past year, the broader S&P 500 is up roughly 23%. Meanwhile, the real estate ETF that tracks the S&P 500 sector is down roughly 3 to 4%. That's a pretty big gap, and it's gotten kind of wider as the year has gone on. Now, one part of the market that's been getting a lot of attention within real estate is the intersection, if you will, between technology and real estate. There's so much attention being paid right now to infrastructure and what it's going to take to power the next generation of cloud computing and, of course, wireless infrastructure. But if you take a look at some of the cell phone tower real estate investment trusts, they saw a nice rally in the fourth quarter of last year and have now taken a little bit of a turn lower over the course of the last couple of months. SBA Communications is off 27% from its recent high. Crown Castle is up down 25%, and American Tower down roughly 13%. These are, those, these are those cell phone tower wireless infrastructure real estate investment trusts. Meanwhile, there's been a lot of relative strength and momentum to another part of that real estate market, and that's the one focused on data centers. A lot of those enabling that next generation of cloud computing. Of course, it's been a play on artificial intelligence. You can see Equinix and Digital Realty, 
both up roughly 20 to 23 percent over the course of the past year. And both stocks actually hit one year highs just in the last week. So keep an eye on real estate, specifically that intersection of technology and real estate in the coming weeks and months. Turning now to Washington, D.C., and the countdown to the 2024 presidential election, just 258 days and change away in what's been a growing focal point for investors this year. There is just one item that remains front and center as the number one issue on voters' minds, and it's about the economy. Now, according to the latest CNBC Youth and Money poll out earlier this month, the cost of living, the economy, jobs and employment rank as the top concerns facing younger voters this year, as is a very narrow gap in preference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump and a possible third contender for the White House. As you can see there, it's been rather tight with regard to how the polling's been happening. So joining me now with a view from Wall Street is City Research's Dan Tobon. Now, Dan, this is an interesting move only because we talk about some of the impact that younger voters will have. Just how much of an impact will the economic narrative be across the entire demographic spectrum heading into this election in November? It's going to be significant. I mean, the economy still remains, first and foremost, the number one issue for voters. Um, what's really interesting, though, is normally you would say an incumbent that's coming in with an unemployment rate as low as the current unemployment rate should be an easy win for that incumbent. Historically, that's what we've seen anyway. Um, this time around, it might be a bit trickier, though, because to the point that you brought up in that in that prior chart, inflation is a big issue. And so even though unemployment is really low, there's a lot of weakness in the consumer confidence. It's been starting to pick back up a little bit just as we've seen inflation coming down. But it's still not where you would expect it to be, given the unemployment rate. And that means that there's still a lot of uncertainty and low confidence in the economy. Add to that, in a lot of the swing states, Trump actually pulls better than Biden on the economy. And it means that it's going to be a really close race um, and with a lot of a lot of time still left to go. Um, you know, it's really tough to tell who's going to win it here. Uh, but that will be the, the main issue. And we'll have to see how inflation and uh, unemployment continue to develop over the course of the year. Dan, there's been a lot of uh I guess, storytelling in, in previous years and election cycles with regard to the steps that a, an administration can take to position itself or its party better going into an election. Is there anything that suggests right now that that consumer sentiment, American consumer sentiment overall, is something that can be turned or shifted by either candidate to their benefit heading into November? Well, of, of course, being able to better explain the positions that each party is going to take and has taken in the past. I mean, you know, these are both actual um, incumbents in a sense um, is is one of the key things that can help. Um, but really, it's going to come down to how the economy itself develops. And, you know, at this point in time, given that we have a, a mixed Congress, so there wouldn't be a lot of fiscal likely to come through. It's really going to be down to how the economy develops on its own at this point. All right. What's the playbook then? We, we talk about this idea that investors have to pay attention to this and many other parts of the cycle. What exactly does then one investor or trader do and, and express that view heading into November? Yeah. So first, we would say, you know, the way that you typically see elections impact markets is in the three months prior. So right here, right now, it's probably a little bit too early to very directly play election themes. Um, but in terms of asset classes, you know, two things that we would note. One is this looks to be a very dollar positive 
um, election. And, you know, in general, we think that uh, a Biden administration would likely have a mixed Congress and that would likely have a minimal impact on the dollar. You know, the other side of that is if uh, President, uh, President Trump wins again um, and you see uh, both Congress, House and Senate go Republican, you're likely to see a very dollar positive environment, both in terms of extension of tax cuts, um, but probably more importantly uh, in, in the forefront would be the potential for tariffs um, and an escalation in trade wars. Uh, we think that we could even see up to 5% uh, higher in the dollar in those months leading into the election. The other thing to always remember with the election, too, though, is that because it's a known event, whatever election trades you put on going into the election, they typically work in that period before the election, not necessarily after the election. So even with something like the dollar, we could expect to see at least a, a temporary high actually around the election, regardless of the outcome, because it'll likely be very priced in. Uh, also keep an eye on fixed income. This one's going to be very important, too, more so on what happens with Congress. Um, yields tend to go higher in a united government. And so if you see both Democrats, uh, uh, sorry, I should say either full Democrat or full Republican Congress, you'll, you should expect to see higher yields. All right. Dan Tobin at City with the Election Playbook. Thank you very much, sir. We'll see you soon. Thanks very much. All right. Let's get a check on this morning's headlines right now. NBC's Richard Louis is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Richard. Dom, good to see you. Speaking of the election, President and candidate Joe Biden saying he is now considering new consequences for Russia after Alexei Navalny, the top opposition leader to Putin, died inside a Russian prison. President Biden telling reporters he is weighing adding additional sanctions against the Kremlin. Russian officials say Navalny died in prison while going for a walk. His wife, Yulia, now says he was poisoned and Russia is refusing to hand over his body and she will now stand for his work. Now let's turn to California where unrelenting rain wreaking havoc for a second day. The deluge leading to dangerous driving conditions, spin outs and overturned cars. At least four mudslides reported in the southern parts of Los Angeles and near Sacramento, farther in the north, drivers were stuck in rushing waters. Similar rescues happening near Santa Barbara. The airport there once again canceling all flights, leaving travelers scrambling. Weather postponed the Daytona 500 as well. At the end of last uh, of, the, of the race, with just nine laps to go, William Byron narrowly escaping a multi-car crash. Number 24 taking the lead as the cars drove into the final lap. That's when Ross Chastain, Austin Sindrick, they both collided, as you see there, right before before crossing the white flag, Byron taking home his first Daytona title. They also broke a record, his Hendricks team. Dom, good to see you. Back good, to you. Good to see you too, Richard, as well. We'll see you soon, sir. Thank you very much. Coming up, detail on the surging rise in the number and value of teenage stock accounts and the companies dominating their portfolios. That story when we come back. It's 5.30 a.m. Eastern time in New York, and there's still a lot ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, so here's what's still on deck. Stocks looking to get back on track after the major indices snapped their five-week winning streaks, futures suggesting some struggles out of the gate. Retail earnings are taking center stage, with Walmart and Home Depot kicking things off in just around 30 or so minutes. The expectations and the key metrics that you'll want to watch. And the holiday weekend not stopping a major merger Monday with a $35 billion deal creating a consumer lending behemoth. It is Tuesday, February 20th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chewin for Frank Holland this Tuesday morning. Let's pick up the half hour with a check on U.S. equity futures. 
The major averages are coming off their first down week, believe it or not, in the last five. And futures right now are pointing to more losses. The Dow is implied lower by roughly 87 points. The S&P down by about 21. And the Nasdaq, the tech heavier side of things, down by roughly 115 points at the opening bell. With the Nasdaq down nearly half a percent ahead of the open, a check on some of the biggest laggards in the Nasdaq 100 large cap index in the pre-market trade so far. Advanced Micro down about 2%. Same with Trade Desk, NVIDIA, Datadog, and Adobe, all among some of the biggest laggards in that larger cap Nasdaq 100 trade. Checking with the bond market with the two-year yield hitting its highest level since mid-December and the five-year yield at its highest level since November. That two-year benchmark yield, by the way, 4.61%. The 10-year note yield, 4.27%. And the 30-year long bond just a hair below 4.44%. Also, oil prices trading near their highest level since November, pulling back somewhat today, as you can see here so far. Ice Brent crude futures, by the way, the world benchmark gauge, also down just about a percent or so right now. To one of this morning's top stories, Capital One Financial is buying Discover Financial in a $35 billion deal, all stock, that values Discover at a 27% premium from Friday's closing price. Now, the companies expect the deal to close in late 2024 or early 2025, after which Capital One shareholders will own roughly 60% of the combined company and Discovery shareholders will own 40% of the overall trade. Capital One, by the way, over the last year up 16%. Discover Financial up 11% as well. The merger marks one of the industry's biggest since 2008 in the financial crisis and is the industry's largest one since the $66 billion deal between BB&T and SunTrust on the regional bank side of things almost five years ago. We're also watching shares of Home Depot and Walmart. Both companies are out with earnings before the opening bell today. For Walmart, it's all about inflation as the retailer raises prices to help grow its top line while still incentivizing consumers to spend on bigger ticket items. With Walmart, it's coming off six straight quarters of beats. Home Depot now could post its first annual sales drop since 2009. Analysts have been lowering estimates since November, citing higher mortgage rates and the impact on new home purchases and renovations as well. Let's dive deeper into this retail trade with Stacey Woodlitz, the president of SW Retail Advisors, our go-to for many things retail. And Stacey, let's talk a little bit about just what the expectations are for a couple of big Dow-type components in Home Depot and Walmart. Yeah, Dom, it's, it's, it's a big day after a holiday weekend here. And, you know, if you think about Walmart, What's been happening is, as you said, they've been growing through inflation. And while inflation has been more stubborn to come down than we would all like, um, you know, food prices are up 20% in the past two years. Walmart's business, we're looking at a two-year comp of 13% that we're going against right now. Think about that, a $600 billion company growing 13% over two years and probably another 5% this quarter. So, you know, they're coming off of these huge numbers. And as inflation comes down, of course, it's slightly harder to comp, to grow here. But I think Walmart's a, a rare case where you've seen not only share gains, but also benefits from inflation, particularly from the higher-end consumer, that they're just gaining you know, a, a, a ton of share, particularly in grocery. I think the good news could be we've certainly heard some green shoots from the general merchandise or more discretionary side so far this quarter. So 
that comes with a higher margin if that mix continues to change here. So I think that could be some of the the good news here to offset the lower inflation. Now, the inflation side of things is very evident on the Walmart trade with Home Depot. How much of this is going to be tied towards the prospects for the housing economy and interest rates going forward, given that renovation trade and everything else going on with real estate? Well, that's what Home Depot is clearly about. And, and we saw the housing start numbers, which were terrible, down 15% month over month. And I think what you're seeing is, as we all stayed home and upgraded and spent all this money, now you're seeing the shift to lower ticket projects. Those high high ticket projects have come way down. And that's really tough to comp against. Um, you know, Also, Home Depot traffic is down a little bit. So I think it's, it's well in the stock that we'll see a, a negative comp this quarter. But Obviously, Home Depot continues to gain share. They're the best in the business. And if you look to the other side of when rates come down, um, you know you, this is a, a staple in your portfolio. I think some of the housing plays in terms of Williams-Sonoma and others, they're holding the line on promotions. They are not promoting. Their operating margins are intact to, and growing, yet their revenues are way down. But these stocks are soaring. They're still getting credit as long as they hold the pricing line. And I think Home Depot will fall in the same bucket. All right, Stacey, Walmart and Home Depot are going to kick off this retail earnings season. A lot of other companies are out there in focus as well. You've just done a bunch of channel checks. Can you take us through what you're seeing early on, where you think some of the positivity will be for the rest of earnings season, given what you can glean about Q4? Sure. So President's Day weekend behind us, hopefully you're out there getting trying to find deals because the deals were not that great this year. The majority of companies out there, the majority of brands had flat to lower promotions um, over the weekend. Um, Traffic was still decent. I think, again, you're still seeing a bit of that discretionary come back a little bit. Some of the names that we saw with lower promotions were Adidas, American Eagle, Aerie was flattish. Um, You saw a bit in the footwear sector that was slightly more promotional, particularly in footwear. There were some spots, but again, that's well advertised here. Um, And of course, Ulta and TJX are absolutely continue to win share. And as great as these stocks have been, traffic is still growing. And I think the quarters will will reflect um, a bit of upside there. All right. Stacey Woodlitz with the State of Play on Retail. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Good to see you, Don. All right. To Washington, D.C. now and the Biden administration formally announcing its latest wave of cash to help expand semiconductor production here in the U.S., naming Global Foundries as the latest recipient in the $52 billion CHIPS Act. Megan Casella joins us now with more on where the company plans to put that money to work. Good morning, Megan. Good morning, Don. That's right. The Biden administration is doling out just over $3 billion in a combination of both loans and grants to global foundries. It's a boost that officials say should triple the company's production capacity in the Northeast. This is the largest CHIPS Act award that's going out so far. The total investment is expected to be some $12.5 billion in spending in both public and private spending as the company builds out an existing facility in Vermont and builds a new facility uh, uh, in New York. Now, the focus here of what they're actually going to be building is legacy chips. They have a dedicated supply for General Motors through a partnership agreement with that company, and they'll be focused on making some chips in the U.S. for the first time, including some specialty chips that are used in satellites, in electric vehicles, and in the power grid. 
Now, the goal here, of course, is countering China. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo says the funding will send, quote, a clear signal that the U.S. is serious about bolstering both its economic and its national security. And um, while this is the first sizable grant going out under the CHIPS Act, for some perspective, it's still only $1.5 billion out of that $39 billion that's set to be provided in subsidies overall. It just means there's much more to come in the coming weeks. Dom? Okay, Megan, so if there's much more to come, what exactly can then we expect to see and when can we expect to see some of these bigger awards that could go out? Which are the ones that are going to make the biggest splashes in the coming weeks and months? Absolutely. And we think that these are coming pretty soon. Secretary Raimondo has said that these should be coming in roughly four to six weeks. And these are going to be really major awards, probably several times what Global Foundries was getting. Intel, there's been reports that Intel's in talks to get some $10 billion in loans and subsidies. We expect TSMC, Micron, Samsung, all of these companies have been applying for these really big awards. And if, if we're looking at the fraction of what Global Foundries got for their total investment spend, we expect that those companies will get several times uh, what Global Foundries is getting this week. All right, Megan, we can already, already see here Intel shares are up roughly 4% right now. Uh, also, the geopolitical importance of what's going on right now. You mentioned China. Just how much can we expect to see this implied move strengthen the U.S. against its counterparts around the world? It's, of course, part of the administration's broader effort, right, to counter China and to really bolster U.S. industrial capacity. I think what's especially interesting about this Global Foundries Award and what will be unique about it compared to some of those bigger awards that we're expecting is that this one's focused on those legacy chips. It's not the state-of-the-art technology that's used in AI, for example, and that's where a lot of the administration's focus has been so far when it comes to China. But they say we also need to do this work to really protect those workhorse chips that are used in cars and refrigerators and smartphones. This will be the first time that some of these are being created in the U.S. for the first time, and it should prevent what Secretary Raimondo was focused on this week. It should prevent things like the car shortage that we saw, the supply chain shortages for cars that we saw during the pandemic. All right, Megan Casella with the latest there on the CHIPS Act. Thank you very much. Coming up on the show, European regulators reportedly setting their sights on a member of the Magnificent Seven with a half a billion dollar fine. That story coming up. Welcome back. Time now for your morning call sheet. Evercore is downgrading its rating on Caterpillar, moving it to neutral. Evercore is saying that the risk-reward scenario for the machinery giant is different now than its earnings report is now wrapped up. So watching those shares. Deutsche Bank is upgrading JetBlue's rating to buy. It says it does not see any hurdles for the airline seeking alternative means to expand its network, assuming its merger with Spirit is truly no longer an option. Another airline upgrade, Bernstein is moving southwest to market perform, saying conditions in the domestic market have improved and it no longer sees sufficient downside risk. And another massive price target increase on super microcomputer, Rosenblatt's hiking its target from $700 to $1,300 per share, saying the company is benefiting not only from secular AI growth, but also material share gains as well. Time now for your global briefing. Watching shares of Chinese property stocks, the country's central bank cutting its primary five-year mortgage rate from 4.2% to 3.9%, making the largest cut since 2019. This is all in an effort to boost China's slumping property sector, which has dragged on the sentiment for consumers out there, for businesses and investors in the last year. The European Union reportedly preparing to fine Apple more than $500 million, citing an anti-competitive environment for music streaming rivals 
like Spotify. According to Bloomberg and the Financial Times, European regulators say Apple is unfairly impeding on competition by failing to inform iPhone users of cheaper music apps outside of its app store. And Nintendo under pressure on a Bloomberg report suggesting the launch of its Switch 2 will be delayed until 2025. Analysts have previously forecasted a release during the second half of the year. The current Switch is nearly seven years old, but popularity around the Super Mario Brothers movie and the new Zelda game has boosted interest in that device. Well, ahead on the show, the one word every investor needs to know today, plus the earnings report seen by many as the key catalyst for the trading week ahead. And during February, CNBC is celebrating Black Heritage. As we head into break, here is I.C. McGibbs, JetBlue's Vice President of Corporate Global Social Responsibility and DEI. Our contributions to the world are significant. And you don't know where you're going unless you can look back and see where you come from. And so celebrating Black History Month allows everybody to understand, celebrate, and recognize the rich contributions that African Americans have made in the United States, but that Black people in general have made to the world. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Capital One is buying Discover Financial for just over $35 billion. The all-stock deal values Discover at a 27% premium above Friday's closing share price. ExxonMobil is reportedly warning it will withhold billions of dollars in climate-related investments in Europe unless EU regulators cut environmental red tape. The Financial Times says Exxon has set $20 billion aside for decarbonization projects in the region between 2022 and 2027. Goldman Sachs is joining some of the most bullish shops on Wall Street, boosting its year-end target price for the S&P 500 to 5,200, citing a higher-than-expected profit in technology and communication services sectors. Barclays is reporting a fourth-quarter net loss of $140 million this morning, missing analyst estimates. The British bank is also delivering its first major strategy update since 2016 and announcing a more than $1.2 billion share buyback plan. And Donald Trump is throwing his hat into another ring this year, the high-end sneaker market. The former president's limited edition sneakers going for $45,000 on eBay after selling out for $399 a piece. One, only 1,000 pairs of the gold high tops were available during their launch at SneakerCon this past weekend. So here's what to watch in the week ahead. Another big slate of earnings on tap for the S&P 500. Walmart and Home Depot kicking things off in the next hour or so. Investors also bracing for the big report from NVIDIA tomorrow to close out the Magnificent 7 results. Ahead of those Walmart and Home Depot numbers, let's get a check on how markets are shaping up. All three major indices are snapping their five-week winning streaks last week. Futures right now pointing to some modest losses. For more, let's bring in Gunjan Banerjee, the lead writer at The Wall Street Journal. She's also a CNBC contributor. She has a new piece in the journal out over the weekend titled, These Teenagers Know More About Investing Than You Do. Looking at the surge in custodial investment accounts for minors. Let's start there because this is fascinating to me. It wasn't just about Reddit. It wasn't just about meme stock trading. But there were legitimately trends pointing towards younger folks getting more avid into investing. That's right. You know, multiple brokerage executives said that they've seen a surge in these custodial accounts over the past few years. You're seeing 
13-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 17-year-olds jumping into the U.S. stock market. Other times they're asking their parents to open Robinhood accounts and, you know, pass over the login information so they can trade or invest in stocks. And, you know, this is part of a broader trend of Americans being more invested in the U.S. stock market. And now it's extending to this youngest generation. What's been driving that? But what exactly was the, the primary reason or, or reasons for why younger people are getting more interested in the stock market? So many of them learn about investing from their parents. Others are seeing social media influencers, which, of course, can carry its own risks, right, in terms of um, blending the I'm thinking the meme lines. stocks and everything else, yes. Yeah, but what we saw was the pandemic really did draw a lot of investors in. And even though a lot of investors aren't trading meme stocks of that era, they've still stayed invested. And it has been this huge force that's drawn a lot of investors in. The S&P 500 is up more than 50% since the start of 2020, and that's helped bring a lot of investors into the market. Recent data showed that Americans have never held more stocks than they do right now. What are the most popular investments for some of these younger folks out there? I mean, I think to myself, is it stuff they use? Is it meta platforms? Is it Apple? Because they just say, hey, I use this stuff, I'm going to buy the stock. It is. You know, brokerage executives told me that the stocks and companies that are ubiquitous in these teenagers' lives, like Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, those are some of the most popular. Vanguard told me that index funds are the most popular in their custodial accounts. Now, let's talk about the word of the day. What is it for you? (laughs) For me, it's AI. AI is the word of the day because of NVIDIA's earnings, which are going to steal the show tomorrow. You know, I think this week is going to be another big test for the AI trade which has kept propelling markets higher in 2024. Now, NVIDIA, what exactly are the expectations? You look at the options market a lot. Just how volatile could it be? So this is a stock already known for its explosive moves, but options activity indicates traders are betting on around an 11% move in the company's company's shares after its earnings Wednesday and through Friday, which is a huge move. Let's not forget, analysts are expecting NVIDIA to report revenue of around $39 billion for last year. That's more than double what it reported the prior year. And just to put that number into context, none of NVIDIA's competitors think Meta, Apple, Microsoft have ever recorded, you know, such a big jump within just a year from from that starting point. So we're really in uncharted territory in terms of expectations and some of the potential volatility here. All right, Gunjan, thank you very much. Big NVIDIA earnings for sure. All right, that does it for us. Squawk Box is coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.